Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in a year. Trends, debuts, world-altering events, and pop culture and film is there to reflect it all back to us generations down the line. Welcome to the A Year in Film podcast, presented by Hollywood Suite. I'm your host, Becky Shrimpton. And today, I'm joined by film and content specialist Cam Maitland and curator and film historian Alicia Fletcher. Mainstream Hollywood has never really figured out what to do with animation. It's always had a bit of a lesser-than treatment, especially when it comes down to awards. Although animation now has its own category at the Oscars, it's always been a bit of, well, good for you, pat on the shoulder with honorary Oscars. Google the picture of Walt holding a big Oscar and seven little Oscars to acknowledge Snow White was something beyond special, but not something to compete with real movies. Well, that changed in 1991, when Disney's Beauty and the Beast was nominated for Best Picture alongside other family-favorite films like JFK and Sun. Of the Lambs. Alicia, Cam, let's get a bit into what it took for animated features to get their own Oscar category and the movie that made them realize they needed to recognize the achievement of animated movies. Here's a quick hint it involves chicken lip mechanics. Alicia, you love Chicken Run as much as I do. I do. Um, I love Chicken Run so much. I saw it in theaters, you know, at a young age, youngish age. Um, and it just, I think it really just epitomizes what what craftsmanship, and I know it's a gendered word, but craft craft personship um, can accomplish and what that can instill in a narrative. Um, it's such a fun film. And that is really the film where I think it became quite clear that it's a 2000 film. We do talk about it on a year in film season one, no, season two. Um, and it's a film that did kind of, I think, the catalyst for the Academy Award category for Best Animated Feature. Um, And like you mentioned, Beauty and the Beast was nominated alongside um, 1991, alongside, you know, very accomplished films um, as and taken upon, um, taken for its own value up against, you know, non-animated films. That was the first time that it ever happened. But it would take almost a decade for there to be that category. And Mm -hmm. I do think Chicken Run is, is... you know, it was massively huge at the box office. I don't think people realize this is the first DreamWorks animated film, Chicken Run, how much money it brought in across the world. Um, and it's a British, you know, these are British animators and they're really taking a British style of animation and a British um, way of working and making it uh, work in Hollywood. And we'll see that with one of our films as well and one that maybe didn't work so well. But um it is such a, a charming film. I do also think that Miyazaki is a, a big proponent or a big sure. reason why the Academy Awards got this category. Of course, Spirited Way would win in 2001. Um, mm-hmm. Absolute masterpiece. It's a, like, I think Pixar too, because yeah. Toy Story won a special achievement in 1990. I think the other thing is like, there was a lot of special achievements happening. There was Roger Rabbit and Toy Story in the like late 80s and 90s. True. So it's like, 
like the makeup thing i think the makeup one people might not know the makeup award only started in the 1980s and it's because essentially there was all that practical makeup and people were like why is this not getting awards uh like the elephant man we talk about i think in a film fact it didn't get anything and you're like what yeah (laughs) and those special achievements we don't have stunt person ones i'm still just mind boggled by that but i think what's what's so amazing for me about chicken run and i think the reason why they kind of went okay we have to keep doing this or we have to start recognizing these features they of course were already recognizing shorts we'll talk about Mm -hmm. how Ardman entertainment had you know already won a ton of oscars for basically everything they'd done um is that when you look at chicken run you can't look at that and not go this is something that this is something incredibly special and that is on par with any sort of technological mm-hmm. achievement that's ever been achieved. Yeah. So when you look at that movie, what's so incredible to me is all of the background gags that are happening that have to happen. Um, like you can't just go back and go, hey, Owen, can you do it? Try it this time, this take. You have to know exactly what's happening at every moment because it's so specific and so precise. And that movie is so detailed with all the precision. It's, it's incredible. like you have one shot. And if you mess it up, it's over. And what's incredible at stop motion is most of these films take multiple years to produce um and a lot of them are pitch perfect like they they don't screw up anything and it's just this level of meticulousness and um craftspersonship that i don't think exists in a lot of other forms i mean animation in general yes but specifically stop motion animation i'm i I have such a soft spot for stop motion i will watch anything that's stop motion pretty much any short um criterion channel right now when they do the brothers is it brothers quay brothers quay um i will watch every single one despite how nightmarish they are like it it is just for me um I think a mode that kind of harkens back to Méliès and the beginning of cinema and why cinema is magical, what it does that no other medium can, if that makes sense. It's transportative. What Very well said. Thank you, Alicia. <laughs> and if I can briefly uh, put, be the dark business person, I think the other thing to note is that uh, Chicken Run was by DreamWorks, which is a Katzenberg thing. Yeah. Katzenberg, it's worth saying, was one of the people nominated, I believe, for the Beauty and the Beast Oscar. Yes. So I think he was gunning for uh, showing, and what the Academy said, part of the reason why they started this Oscar category was that there was a diversity of companies now producing, whereas it would have just been Disney, 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 Disney before. Disney, yeah. uh, but I think a large part of that is probably Jeffrey Katzenberg <laughs> either giving people a lot of money or, or making a big stink until his precious Shrek won the first uh, animated Which, Oscar. Also, if you look for the first few of them, it isn't Disney dominating no. them, right? It's Miyazaki, it's DreamWorks, yeah. it's, and then and it's Pixar until yeah, Pixar, Pixar becomes yeah. Disney. Uh, non-Disney like, Pixar, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty Happy impressive. Feet? Everyone forgets yeah. George, George Miller's lone Oscar for Happy Feet. <laughs> oh my God, I had forgotten that. I love when we talk about George <laughs> Miller and it's always like whether it's Babe or Babe Pig in the City, just the, the mm-hmm. craziest films that yeah. he's directed, which is of Eastwick, <laughs> baffling. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into our first movie because as awesome as Chicken Run is, it wasn't Ardman Entertainment's first kick at the Oscar can. Their previous shorts containing their signature characters, Wallace and Gromit, had either been nominated for for or won an Oscar every year they were released. It then only makes sense that the first feature film with the characters would beat out Disney's Chicken Little, our next movie, The Corpse Bride, and Miyazaki's own Howl's Moving Castle. They're favorites of the Academy, and I have to admit, they are favorites of mine, mostly because I see so much of myself in Wallace. (laughs) Alicia, do you have the same warm fuzzies as I do for the were-rabbit? I love this movie. Uh, Yes, I mean, so much so. And it was such a pleasure to watch 
watch this again after a few years. Um, and I know firsthand from my best friend's three-year-old that this is a film that still really resonates <laughs> with the little ones. Um, sure. I think it's just evergreen that way. Uh, I will say it's actually quite scary for a three-year-old. And this was a, she took him to an outdoor park screening of this during mm. COVID. And so the kids could kind of like, walk around and stand up and i know that she said like i, I know what parts in watching this like it is the the, re- the reveal of the rabbit although he's incredible the were rabbit is incredibly cute it's done in true hammer horror universal monsters mm. like they're able to mimic horror films so so well um i love that ardman referred to this as the first vegetarian horror film <laughs> that made me laugh so much and I think if I were a child watching this, I would be so pleased and so um, so mesmerized. But as an adult with a childlike mind, which is how I sometimes think of myself, I am having so much fun with how it's engaging with the history of horror, how it's engaging with canonical horror films through puns. Um, it's just wondrous and this is of course Wallace and Gromit's first feature length film they had done a lot of shorts for which they had been nominated and won Oscars um, and it's just such a, a such a bold statement on stop motion animation that this is what they produced because um, mm-hmm. it really is I think when you look in this I, I don't know if it is a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes but I think it's like 99 percent um, this is just such a critical darling it pleases every demographic i feel like and i know it's interesting because it's very british and i do believe they did tone down some of the british isms and some of the very thick accents a little bit for american audiences and yet it still retains um you know references to marmite and things that i kind of only vaguely know about (laughs) (laughs) now cam i have to tell you that your mother almost killed my mother with this movie did you know that no i didn't what my mother got surgery they're always almost killing each other you know (laughs) that that is true uh your mother gave this to my mother when she was recovering from surgery in a place where it would be very uncomfortable and possibly Mm. dangerous to laugh (laughs) and she gave her this movie and she uh had to uh go back to her doctor because some (laughs) stitches were pulled Oh my God. So, That's a great history. So well done. Uh, Nick Park That's would love that, is. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. It's it's that good. Okay. I think this movie is especially interesting because it is stop motion. However, this is where they're starting to kind of put a little bit of CGI mm-hmm. in it just to mm-hmm. smooth effects. Uh, the bunnies in the bunny vac are... Uh, are sure all floaty so you couldn't really do that in stop motion without doing a bunch of extra editing and so this is also a period now where when critics are looking at this because we're in 2005 we're right in the midst of the everything is blurry CGI and Transformers are fighting each other and you know um, the Kraken has been released uh, and people are just like it's so nice just to get back to watching real things do things. That tactileness is the word they always use. Tactileness, yeah, that is the appeal. That's why I still am drawn to stop motion. It's tactile, it's textural, it's... uh... You can see the thumbprints, yeah. like yeah. when they zoom in. And this in, is where it's, they're yeah. like, we're probably going to compare the two films where one desperately didn't want any thumbprints, and <laughs> one is like, we love the thumbprint. Like, Ardman loves thumbprints so much that it, uh, Flushed Away is not a good movie, but their first CGI movies, Flushed Away, they actually digitally add thumbprints <laughs> to those characters because they just love they love the tactile feeling too much. And they're like, the Ardman look is 
it's textural. It's plasticine. I always have to, I mean, it's mm. very different than the film we're going to talk about with the Corpse Bride and the materials that they used. But I think everyone, no matter what age you are, can relate to the materials of this film because you've all played with plasticine. You've all mm. molded something, a little person, and put your thumb in the eye sockets to mold a face. And so when you see that up on screen, I don't know, it just sort of makes it feel like anything is possible. Like, I'm not, I mean, these are obviously expertly molded um, figures, but it feels like you could make these, that you could do it yourself at home. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really appealing. Yeah. I love with all the interviews of Nick Park and every single one, he brought along little models of Wallace and Gromit to sit <laughs> beside him. He's like, they're representing themselves. Yeah, we, <laughs> like, so when so I was sweet. at TIFF uh, for TIFF Kids one year, I want to say 2013, there was a full Ardman retrospective and, um, it was the year that Pirates was coming out, which I really oh, yeah. like. I think it's really fun. And so I got to you know, sit in the audience for a lot of conversations with Nick Park. And he brought all, all the figures traveled with him. It was pretty <laughs> pretty soon after the fire. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, he was such a delight. It was such a crowd pleaser as an event because kids were definitely in there listening to these very, you know, meticulous conversations about the mechanics of puppetry and and figures, but then also like just silliness, pure silliness, you know, talking about the old Pee Wee Herman shorts and things like that Mm -hmm. and with Penny and it was just so delightful. Yeah, it's very interesting. There, uh, I heard somebody talking about stop motion animation. I was listening to a few things and everybody points out that obviously these guys are Anyone who's a stop motion animator is a meticulous weirdo. And it's like, <laughs> what kind of weirdo do you become? And somebody like, to not speak out of school, I think Henry Selleck is very famously a very prickly weirdo, yeah. a very <laughs> controlling, you know, he's a guy who made 70% of a movie for Disney and they were like, not worth it. <laughs> take, the, take your movie and leave, sir. Uh, whereas I think Nick Park and I think Will Vinton, who is no longer with us, were both guys who found a way to take the that weirdness and turn it into like a Walt Disney-ish kindness, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that their outward thing is just being charming and cute and good for children and and, and not being... Because obviously this is an artistry that is insane. It takes so much yeah. of your life. It takes so much of your care. And it's fair enough if you become super defensive of it and weird. Uh, it's but, also going to uh, give you arthritis. Yeah. There's no oh, way yeah. people don't have carpal tunnel, arthritis, um, probably a broken back from hunching over. Yes, true, like, true. You probably go blind. It's so uh, physical. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so physical. Yeah. For me, though, I think the uh, the thing that just amazes me is not only are they making these characters that are plasticine come to life, like all animation is mm. magic in that way, the amount of camera angles in this yeah. movie, this is an yeah. action-packed movie. Yeah. And I don't think we, we really gave much of a plot summary. So, Alicia, <laughs> do you want to just do a quick plot oh, summary yeah. so that I can get into the mayhem? Yeah, so we have Wallace, um, who is, you know, he's really into cheese. It's um, I relate to him on that level. There is a cheese obsession that is <laughs> problematic and his long-suffering best friend slash caregiver in some ways uh, Gromit. Gromit is an entirely silent character um, he doesn't he does have a I think he has a mouth but it's mostly he expresses himself through his eyebrows which is incredibly effective um, Gromit has graduated from Dogwarts Academy he's very educated <laughs> I noticed that in this film I've never noticed it before he has a little These puns oh my a little God. diploma on the wall um and he's the smart guy. He's he's the smart guy. Wallace is loving and 
good natured and good hearted, but not the brightest. Um, and they have their own pest control company, humane pest control company called Anti Pesto, <laughs> which is Terrible. wonderful. Which is a joke I wouldn't have gotten at five years yeah. old at all. I no. don't know what I, most children. Well, oh, I mean, most of these puns. Kids. I know that British kids are fed puns yeah. at an early age, <laughs> but most of these puns are just for the adults. I think. Yeah, and yeah. Glorious. I mean, I love on his you know bookshelf that we get to see has oh um, books like The Hunt for Red Leicester, Brighton Roquefort, How Green oh Was My God. Cheese, Brie Encounter, <laughs> Swiss Cheese Family Robinson, East oh of God. Eden, Graded Expectations, Fromage to Eternity, and Waiting for Gouda. <laughs> like, I'm so delighted. Right I now. <laughs> could never have gotten that when I was little. Um, and so they, they, they are, you know, in the business of clearing rabbits. And this is really important at this juncture because there's going to be a giant vegetable growing contest in the town. Um, and so, you know, giant zucchinis, giant pumpkins, carrots, and the bunnies are posing a problem. So they've invented this thing called the bunny vacuum and then also this other invention which sort of can deprogram rabbits by putting this headpiece on them and um, think about like kind of like hypnotherapy for stopping smoking. He's deprogramming the rabbits to not to, to then not want to eat vegetables, to have an aversion. Something goes wrong and the in a fly situation like Cronenberg's the fly. Wallace and our and the rabbit's brains get scrambled. So there's a little bit of Wallace in this rabbit named Hutch and a little bit of the bunny in Wallace. Meaning that Wallace starts turning into a were rabbit. Um so we, you know, we I think all viewers kind of figure it out, maybe not kids, but uh there's this were rabbit that's eating everyone's vegetables. It's only striking at night with full moon. Um, and Wallace and Gromit think it's, you know, this this being and Gromit realizes very quickly it's actually Wallace that he's transforming at night and eating. And, you know, he's kind of fallen in love with this Totty, Lady Tottingham, who is this like aristocratic um, vegetable lover who also loves bunnies. And he, so he's trying to like deal with her situation. It's it's she's vo- voiced by um, Helena Bonham Carter and it's great voice acting. I loved her so much. Uh and, you know, it just goes from there. There's a lot of references to Frankenstein, a lot of references to, um, like, the Lon Chaney Jr. version of uh, The Wolfman. Um, it is just an utter delight from the first frame to the last. Uh, and, you know, a lot of references to animation history. I noticed this time watching mm. it that he's listening to the song Bright Eyes from Watership Down on the radio. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about Watership Down in our first season on the podcast from 1978. And I just, those little moments uh, are so loving. It's chock full of puns. There's too many puns to even, I know I read off every book, but then there's all these puns <laughs> with horror films. It's, oh yeah, it is amazing. It is just, I love this film. I could watch this film once a week and never get bored. <laughs> the, there's always something new to see and there's like some of the one-liners that just pop out of the background like there's one when they're when the townsfolk the angry mob are lamenting um their issues and one of them says this is worse than 1972 when there were slugs the size of pigs <laughs> and for some reason that just made me laugh so hard. yeah yeah it's uh, um it, it makes sense i mean we've had su- subsequent feature films with wallace and gromit i don't think any have achieved the greatness that this one is, although they've come close, but this is just so wondrous. And it's very, it's quite short. I think it's in the 70 minute range. 
And yet it just feels like such an action film. There are real scares. I mean, the were-rabbit, once you, he's revealed, is so cute. He's got Wallace's little bow tie on. That's it. Um, and he's he's just very lurking and very cute. But like everything around that, like the lighting, like you were mentioning, the camera angles, Becky and Cam, but like the lighting, the sound effects, like it just feels mm. like they must have watched so much universal horror from the 30s oh, yeah. and Christopher Lee Hammer films and just written down, okay, we're going to steal this. We're going to reference this film. And no one, I mean, there's probably people out there that get every single reference, but it's not meant to be that. It's just meant to exist in this world so yeah, lovingly. I think he just loves, I mean, it's the same as like the League of Gentlemen or something. They just yes. love the like British town of like skeptical, but because yeah, you Are hear you Nick local? Park list them off. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, oh, Oh yeah, you know the policeman's from the Invisible Man. The the priest is from this movie, and you're like, oh wow, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, you can tell that they love British character actors and British character voices and stuff. That's just part of Ardman's deal, which is makes it yeah, makes it this wonderful horror pastiche. It's a little and, it's a little yeah. off topic, but just in case we have listeners who have never tuned into League of Gentlemen or Psychoville or mm. any of the, oh, please. Boy, yep. And I know Mark Gaddis is in this. Please. Yeah, the old lady. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's so the good. Old woman. Please look those up. <laughs> they are some of my favorite comedies. They are so disturbing. <laughs> yeah, just be aware they are incredibly, incredibly Ooh. bleak and incredibly yes. dark. They're yes. they're tough watches. They're great, but they're tough watches. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- that having been said, I kind of want to take us into the voice acting because I sure. often have issues, and I mean, we do this all the time now, um, and I, as, as someone who is a voice actor, full disclosure, I get really frustrated sometimes with A-list actors who they bring in to do these roles because their names will bring people in, but they, they can't act, right? They don't, they, or they, they can't act in this medium. It's a completely different skill set that they just don't yeah. have and so often when you see something I will uh, say Kubo and the Two Strings which should have been incredible but unfortunately the voice acting really lets that film down which is really heartbreaking this doesn't happen here here Helena Bonham Carter is like giving it for everybody um, Ray, it's Ray Fiennes yes. isn't it who's playing he's the bad great. guy yeah, he's, he's so great. fantastic Fiennes, yes. in this I actually yes. I think there's some English patient references in this because there's a, oh, a, yeah. an airplane <laughs> like Duke out yes. and yeah. with Ray Fiennes Everything. Yeah, I'm just like, what animated film for children references the Anthony Minghella, Michael Ondaatje? Well, I, I really love also, I think that this is, it's not like, this is not the total turning point, because I think you kind of get the idea that he always wanted to do it. But like, this is one of the first like really wacky comedies he did. And now that's kind of half of what Ray Fiennes does, which, yeah. and what he's great at. Oh, he's Because so before great. it's just like yeah. made in Manhattan and the Avengers. But yeah, now we know we have like Hail Caesar and, and Budapest Hotel, where it's like he is great at being an incredibly broad, ridiculous comedy. And to some extent in Bruges. Like, oh, a, yeah, a for villain, sure. yeah, yeah, the yeah, villainy totally. that yes. he's able to achieve in, in Bruges, but also sort of, yeah, it's wonderful. It really, you're right. That's a great point cam it's here in the in the beginning stages and he does it so so well victor hadn't we agreed hmm. no more thoughtless killing quite right my dear so i thought this one through very carefully it's off to bunny heaven for you big ears victor no I think you can also tell they took the freedom of like the the wacky character design to be very different from themselves. Uh, and I think Becky, if, if you're going to tell this good story of Helena Bonham Carter and her weird voice Tottie. choices, Totty, <laughs> uh, Lady Tottington, if you don't mind. 
Totally. Well, because I, I really liked listening to her interviews because she clearly comes from a place of the theater. She's very well trained. Like she knows how to move her voice around, which is why she's really good at this. And she talked about like the placement of the voice wasn't quite working. Apparently she's playing a bunch of her mother's aristocratic friends mm. uh, in this, but um, she couldn't quite get the voice right. So she's like, hold on, I have to make a phone call. Called her partner at the time, Tim Burton, who apparently just has a box of teeth sitting yeah. underneath the sink and had him bring it over. So she threw in these fake teeth so she could get that very upper crush of a voice going on. And it is perfection. She didn't actually do the eventual recording with the teeth, but it just gave her enough of it that it's really funny because, of course, Tim Burton just has teeth lying around his house under his sink. They're poor cleaning people, the things that they must have encountered. Yeah. One of the things I also love about this movie is that this, and I love Wallace and Gromit, period. And I think why it works for grown-ups as well as for kids that, like, people often don't do is there's a real sense of danger here. Even mm. though, like, we're kind of in this fluffy world where, like, no one's actually going to die. You know, everything's huge. Maine, it still feels dangerous. And all of the Ardman shorts with Wallace and Gromit have that, like a close shave, um, the wrong trousers. Both of them, they are in, like, especially Wallace is yeah. in just like immediate It, it tends danger. to be a villain that wants to kill them, which is yeah, <laughs> not is always in a children's movie. And I think, Becky, it was you, and this was really, I really loved this in um, season two of A Year in Film when we talked about Chicken Run. You're the one that pointed out on that episode that, like, the stakes are so high because these chickens are going to die. Not just die, die horribly. Yeah. Their heads are going to be chopped yeah. off. They're going to be running And around. they're listening to the the other people. They're listening to other chickens get yeah. their heads cut off. They know it's coming. It's yeah. horrible. And that they're friends and they're yeah, community. I think it's at the beginning of that yeah. film, we're introduced to a character, a chicken, who dies horribly. And it was such a great point to make that it really does set, I think, Aardman animation stories apart from others. I think you get a bit in like, Toy Story 3 when they're all contemplating. Sure. They close yeah, yeah. their eyes and oh hold hands and wait God, for death. No, yeah. thank you. I remember having a panic attack during that. But um, yeah, that is what kind of sets the Aardman apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think like you talked about uh, that Nick Park uh, said that, you know, they did change some of the accents and a few of the references, but he said he, he, re he, said he really confidently put his foot down uh, because he said, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg, you bought a quirky British movie and it's going to mm -hmm. be British. And I think that Aardman has really stuck to their guns there. And that's maybe why some of these newer CGI ones, Shaun the Sheep, I think works great because it's silent and goofy and kids can love it. But some oh, of the pirates, so some of the much. other stuff is so British that I think it sometimes doesn't connect as much in North America. But that's good. Yeah. Uh, it connects you, in Japan, though, and it connects, it, I think it connects overseas yeah. in this big way, especially with Japan and parts mm -hmm. of Asia. Um, which, you know, I'm happy we're at a point where I'm not going to say Hollywood doesn't matter or North America doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter as much because you can yeah. make so much money overseas that like that's really where the benchmark is. It's not how many sure. people saw this in L.A. Who cares? Like it is. Well, Gromit is also nonverbal. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that we can understand exactly what poor Gromit is oh, always going through dog. just by eyebrow expressions mm. is so impressive to me because uh, he started out as a cat and then when he started talking, like initially then he was talking because apparently cats are very difficult to do with all the fur mm. so he was like, okay, I'm going to make him a dog. They're easier shapes. So then he became a dog and then he had like a Scooby-Doo kind of voice and a mouth and then he's like, well, this isn't working and then he just started playing with the eyebrows and like if you have a dog, my dog <laughs> is nonverbal. Um, she expresses yeah. herself entirely through eyes and it's like, 
yeah, that's exactly what it looks like with dogs. But that we in humans can pick that up because that's the way our brains are wired is fascinating. And that you can then translate that to a plasticine yeah. figure and figure out how to communicate is like very... I love that Gromit rolls his eyes like, is it 16 times that Gromit... Yeah, sure. <laughs> like this whole Probably. film is a big eye. Like Wallace is so sweet, but just like this dog needs to catch a break. Um. Yeah, yeah, and I also think the plasticine. We're gonna probably get into the debate regarding it, but I think it can be so much more expressive, partially because there is like yeah. a like an improvisational aspect to it. And then they talk about. I mean, obviously, there's some that can't be improvised. You hear a guy describe how one five second shot of the transformation took them a year from conception to creating, which is insane. Oh, yeah. But uh, but I think that there is a, an expressiveness, and I think when we get into the next movie. The, the difference in how the two animation styles conceptualize expressiveness, I would go Ardman any day of the week because I think Same. that they they f- stumble upon things more often. And that's why I think also you hear Nick Park say that he doesn't mind CGI because he's like, it's models again. They're set things and you can you, you, you can tweak them, but they're, they're in a uh, space, you know? Yeah. I think just to bring us to the end, uh, one of the reasons I love both Wallace and Gromit and all of these is that um, it reminds me of my favorite genre of documentary, which is Doofus with a Dream, where like you're watching someone who like wants something really bad. So like the the ultimate kind of expression of this is American movie of like someone who just like believes their dreams so hard and they're making something and they're bringing everybody into their world, even though they may or may not be able to accomplish that mm-hmm. thing. And Wallace reminds me so much of that. And I love it because apparently Wallace is based on Nick Park's dad, mm-hmm. who was a tinkerer which does not surprise me and he at one point he made his own caravan or like a trailer in, a, in British speak uh, to take to Wales because he wanted to go to Wales and he wallpapered the inside with the wallpaper that is on all the walls in all of Wallace's places and I it, love it's that it's iconic so wallpaper and that's an interesting point because I know one of the things that really angered Nick Park while working with DreamWorks was um, DreamWorks was like you know Wallace needs like a trendier car we don't like this I think it's an ass Astra, right? An Astra van. You know, that doesn't have any referent in North America, whereas in England, you know, as a caravan, everyone knows what, who drives those kinds of things. Um, So, you know, you put him in like a, I don't want to say he said Lamborghini, but that's what it kind of sounded like. And thank God Nick Park won out for that because it it just doesn't make sense, right? In any context, he would never be driving like a Tesla. Which is interesting because, like, although these are very British characters, there's definitely American archetypes of that character. I think of, like, almost any Jerry Lewis character is kind of sitting in that same zone, right? Yeah. I mean, we've always had a good uh, job of, at at least for a while, we turned all the British sitcoms into American sitcoms. Uh, (laughs) Steptoe and Son is just Sanford and Son. It's the same, (laughs) same diff. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to be looking at a movie that is more spooky than adventurous. It's The Corpse Bride. That's coming up after the break. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, 
they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Nightmare Before Christmas changed the game in a lot of ways. Although a touchstone picture, it's still technically Disney. So much so that the Haunted Mansion ride in Disneyland is completely redone in the Nightmare theme. That film, along with an earlier short, Vincent, established the Tim Burton animated character style. For Nightmare, the directorial reins were turned over to stop-motion master Henry Selick, and the results were a huge success. So when Tim Burton was shown the Russian folktale that was the basis for The Corpse Bride, it seemed a great way to apply his distinctive character aesthetics to another spooky project. This time, though, it wasn't Selick and Touchstone who would produce it using traditional clay stop-motion, but instead Warner Brothers and a young upstart company that would eventually become Leica, who were developing a new technique for more realism in stop motion. Cam, do you feel like Corpse Bride was different animation-wise from anything you've seen before? You know, I think because, weirdly, I've had to <laughs> research Corp Pride a few times, I have come to appreciate that it is different. Uh, and I actually do think, especially when you get into the Leica, mostly because most of the Leica productions now involve 3D printing, so it's actually a very different oh, process. Um, that I think that, yes, it, I, I think now, interestingly, it is not necessarily, we'll get into it, a style I respect, but I do think that Corp Pride, interestingly, stands alone as a very... Uh, a relatively unique style uh where i think it maybe falters is it it begins to burgeon into the uh, if you want it to look like this why don't you just do cgi mm -hmm. <laughs> to be yeah. honest if you want it so smooth if you want it so subtle there's no need for it to be um stop motion but yeah i do think it's very unique uh in its own way not to my taste <laughs> it's to my taste i mean i don't know if the technique okay. is to my taste i think i'm a defender of this film most people i talk to hate this um i don't think it's hateable uh, most people might include one person on so. this chat no it's not hateable <laughs> it's not hateable i just think it's it's, just, it's dull i think it's i think it's also t the start of kind of tim burton not knowing what he's doing a bit that. But I will also say I am a big person of, uh, you know, the, uh, the 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 director of this film is quite nice about Tim Burton. Says Tim Burton had his fingers and everything. Yada da 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 da. Henry Selick is a lot less nice about Tim Burton. Says Tim Burton shut up about five times. Mm -hmm. Gave him the designs on Nightmare, and it was a Henry Selick movie. But uh, I I just don't think he's that involved in these movies, to be honest. I think that they are to his vision. I think he approves everything. Um, so I, I can't blame a lot of it on Tim Burton. I think he, yeah, I don't know. It's like Tim Burton I think presents. he's spreading himself thin here, yes. too, because yeah. literally Johnny Depp is doing, and he are doing, uh, and Helen Edelman Carter are all doing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by day and then recording oh, all their yeah. lines and doing the line yes. direction by night. Like, they're doing this exact same time. That's wild. I would love to make this uh, a Tim Burton, uh, you know, like, a deep dive where you're like, as Tim, it's very interesting that the, the corpse bride looks like your first wife, but is voiced by your second wife. <laughs> like, Lisa Marie. Do you want to go... Uh, psychologize that uh but i don't think yeah i don't know anyway it's a it, like it's it's a unique film is what i will give it and, and it's cute uh, the silly characters there's enough jokes it's worth a one watch i, I just feel like compared to 
Though, I mean, also, Frankenweenie coming up next is worse than this, I'd say. Is worse? Yeah, I think so. The original Frankenweenie is better, (laughs) but Frankenweenie, the feature film? I love Frankenweenie. I mean, you can't compare the original, which is, like, a live-action short with Shelley Duvall to, like... Yeah. I love Frankenweenie. Okay, well... It's that's for you to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into because you'd mentioned that like everybody kind of attributes, and of course, his name is it's Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah. but it really is Henry Selleck. And there is a particular aesthetic that's assigned sure. to Tim Burton. Um, and this, I actually feel it fits in that, but I also think it steps outside of that a little bit, especially yeah. when they get into like um, the the dead the dead the world of the dead mm-hmm. feels much more playful and colorful than a lot of Tim Burton it- stuff. And definitely in watching it this time, I think probably the animators of Coco, which is probably my most favorite oh, yeah. Pixar of yeah. recent years, uh, were definitely looking at the netherworld in this film. I mean, I also think that, yeah, the problem is that this movie pales so hard in comparison to stuff like Coco, yeah. even the Book of the Dead. Even I'm like, somebody brought up Hotel Transylvania. It's like, yeah, that's kind of the same thing where it's like a human falling into a monster world that's wacky and colorful. And you're like, oh, yeah, those are all better than this. There's, there's an understated elegance to this film though and i think it's really rooted in the two female characters like i think uh emily watson who is voicing um victoria and of course uh, helena bottom carter who is the corpse bride and this film is like her film i really am drawn to those two characters and how abused they are and how um suffering they are and yet and wafty. These are wafty it's women. It's very Victorian. Yeah. yeah. These are, you know, Victoria looks like the kind of woman who would die from consumption uh, like a year after yeah. being married. I don't mean to be mean, but like. This is, I think, the does. only animation I've ever seen where someone is having difficulty breathing in a cor- in a corset when they're, mm. you know, animating. I mean, yeah, animating a woman in a corset with her like rib cage about to burst out is pretty remarkable. But um, I don't know. It's the female characters that really draw me to the story and I guess that's really inherent in the in the actual folk tale the mm-hmm. Russian folk tale um, which I don't think North Americans have any concept of this story it doesn't really ring for us um, speaking of the story Cam yeah, do you sure. want to give us yeah. a quick plot summary <laughs> yes. on this one <laughs> uh, yes uh, Victor Van Dort is your usual uh, Johnny Depp uh, Victorian <laughs> fainting man who is indecisive <laughs> and, and can't just say <laughs> he would solve this plot by just saying what's going on <laughs> at any point uh, and he he his parents are uh, nouveau riche but they have no status uh, they find a family who is lords and ladies but they have no money uh, uh, so they arrange this marriage between him and Victoria, uh, played by Emily Watson. Um, they actually kind of like each other, mm-hmm. uh, but Victor is, is such a uh, cream puff that he can't even <laughs> get the words out to get married. Uh, and, and while practicing uh, his wedding speech, he accidentally drops the ring. It's not it even a wedding speech. A... It's just saying, with this ring, I yeah, be wed. It's, it's ridiculous. Like I mean, I guess... There's something about wine and a <laughs> I cup. Can, it's yeah, more complicated than I can appreciate that if the guy yelling it at you is Christopher Lee, you might be a little less nervous. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the ring lands on the finger of a corpse, uh, a sexy corpse. Uh, and uh, he is 
is then drawn to the underworld, then it becomes an issue of uh, a corpse can't marry a living person, so if they want to be married, he will have to die, or will he have to find a way out of this corpse marriage to return to what is probably a better choice of his lady love on the surface? Though the dead world is fun. Um, he sees so, his doggy. Yeah, it's, it's his, hard to tell. His little yes. doggy that's passed away. Oh, that's away my favorite and, part. Uh, yeah, I like that a lot. Roll over. Roll over. Good boy, Scripps. Play dead. Sorry. Well, that's because there's a dog and he looks like Zero from Nightmare Before Christmas, except for this is the bones yeah. as opposed to the spirit. Yes. It's very And it similar. definitely relates to Frank and Weenie um, oh, eventually. Yeah. I, I, can we talk about... Tim Burton definitely had a dog that died that yeah. sex up with him <laughs> to this very there's day. There's a yep. Peter Laurie worm. Oh, <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about the Peter Laurie worm. Why is it there? Why, is Peter Why isn't worm he there? there? Like It's just because he, yeah. he can be. And <laughs> there is an element of that I mean, in all Tim Burton <laughs> that is like gloss and frosting and kind of frustrating. But yeah. I'm, I was down with the Peter Laurie worm. Why not? It's like, kind of like a yeah. Casablanca-esque bar sure. that they're in in the yes. underworld. I think he's just, I can you see know, that. he's just the henchman. If you ask me, your boyfriend is kind of jumpy. Yeah. Why is uh, why is Napoleon there, played by Deep Roy? <laughs> There's a, it just is what it is. But yeah. Oh I, God, I, bless Deep Roy again. You are are you busy right now, Deep Roy? No, exactly. you're just doing a movie with me. Right yeah, now. it's not like Deep Roy is playing 140 characters no. yeah, in Charlie exactly. and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, Deep Roy, it's like listen, we paid you a million dollars, Deep Roy. Give us one more. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, and as much as I like, like I do think that those characters are quite fun. I kind of prefer, and I like you say, I think the style is a little different because I think it's quite like informed by Victorian character and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, and that's why I kind of it's like the gory. people in the real world. Yeah, yeah, you're Edward totally yeah, right. Edward Gorey, good call for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but I like I like those t- his terrible parents and the terrible parents of the other lady. You know, they're and fun. the Joanna Lumley is a voice sure. actress in this who I will give all the She's money great. in the world to Joanna Lumley just to watch her. Stay Stand there and smoke. Well, and you know, they've worked together before. I mean, so James and the Giant Peach is not super Tim Burton. Like, it's. No. But that's true. Yeah. That's true. So I guess they have. And, and uh, but that's also where uh, uh, where he met Mike Johnson. Uh, he worked as mm-hmm. a, a lower level animator on mm-hmm. James and the Giant I Peach. I love James he, and the Giant Peach. I, is that Disney? Yeah, yeah I think it so. Is oh, yeah. I, or okay. some. It's, it is now. <laughs> you know, it's one of those. Um, and Mike Johnson, who is the, the co-director slash the guy who really oversaw most of the animation, he's kind of an interesting guy because he has not done a ton. He's known mostly for, if you remember, there was a pr- Primus did a cover of The Devil Went Down to Georgia, and he mm. made the video for it. It's very cool, very freaky, and Tim Burton-y in a way that I think this this movie isn't. Um, and uh, But then since this film, he, he has not really had a project to take off, and he is now a an animator at CalArts where Tim Burton went to school. Or he's a teacher, sorry, rather. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of interesting because I think that this is cool and if we want to get into the animation technique it is a very unique and weird animation technique uh so yeah i'm kind of surprised to see that this guy uh has not had more uh, kicks at the can well let's talk about the technique because we talked before about the plasticine and that you can see the thumbprints this was as you said specifically mm-hmm. designed not to see any any thumbprints so when they do um normal stop motion animation they replace the heads or they replace the mouths or the eyes or mm-hmm. things to kind of um mm. change the different expressions here it's clockwork yeah. and the clockwork mechanism you sort of like turn it to little Keys. degrees to get everything to move yeah. yes uh, smoothly um so that it, it uh, everything's clean but it 
my thing is like you overclick it one click and you're totally screwed. What do you do now? <laughs> um, but it gives it, yeah, this CGI super smooth eerie sort of quality like um when people talked about when um the final fantasy movie came out which is one of the first like oh, full sure. cgi movies people found it really uncanny valley because it's like they're not breathing and they're not blinking and it's kind of weird and i kind of get a similar feeling to this where it's sure. so smooth it does feel a little bit uncanny valley which maybe is not maybe is appropriate for this movie yeah i mean it, it, it's, it's not i don't think that it doesn't work i just think it's very interesting okay. because those that when you hear people talk about it, what they're very interested in is extreme subtlety, which is not what I look for in animation. I think sometimes it comes out quite fun. For instance, when uh, the the father character who is played by Albert Finney is like attempting to smile. <laughs> yeah. I think something like that His can looks, probably yeah. only be achieved with this technology. But but otherwise, it's weird because it's like somebody. I heard somebody describe compare this to like the stop motion characters had Botox where it's like they can do stuff, but they're never doing an extreme animated. That's a great analogy. That's blowing my mind. But it like, the interesting thing is when you hear the guys, they would not be mad about this because they're like, no, we are interested in like extreme subtlety in movement, which is not what Ardman is interested in. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a difference, but it's like, I guess I, I prefer (laughs) a lack of subtlety in my animation. But it's also, I don't think this is the story to tell for that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because I think this is a movie that doesn't quite pick a lane. And that's why it's not like uh, when all the reviews came out, they were like, this is too scary for kids. Mm -hmm. Like we, but but I'm shocked by too, because I feel like, especially compared to Nightmare or even Frank and we need to be honest. uh, This is (laughs) this. I mean, they're dead. (laughs) We're talking about (laughs) death, but otherwise it's not. not I think they're specifically referencing the fact that um, the guy murders the other woman. Oh, sure. Voiced by um, Hollywood sweet favorite Richard E. Grant. Yes. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, great voices. It's worth saying. Again, wonderful voices. And and a lot of like hat tips to old Tim Burton collaborators. Like you say, I think this is maybe the last Michael Goff performance where he plays the old skeleton. Uh, And he's delightful as always, but the Alfred the Butler from the old Batman movies. There is a complication with your marriage. I don't understand. The vows are binding only until death do you part. Death has already parted you. <gasps> he is yeah, good. I, yeah, that's a good character. Know. That's a, a character where I felt like this animation style actually worked really well on. I think because it's yeah. not facial. He's literally just a skull with like um, a cracked skull with little pieces of yeah. his cranium coming off. But uh, <laughs> and a long like decaying mustache or a beard. But uh, he works really well. I also love the, we mentioned Christopher Lee is in this, and Christopher Lee never phones anything in. He shows Mm. up, he knows what he's there for to be Christopher Lee. Do we feel like this is a bone being thrown to him because he didn't end up getting to be in Sweeney Todd? I mean, he's he's great in, uh, he's he's also in Charlie. Yeah. So I think that most of it is just blocking the Charlie people across the lot to do their voices. I mean, he's so old at this point and i know he would continue mm. to work for a solid decade but sure he put that uh, that heavy metal album oh in his like a year before he died 
<laughs> Good for him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff I do respect, and that, that is nice. Uh, this is all inspired by a story that was told by Tim Burton or to Tim Burton by Joe Ramps, who's mm-hmm. a guy he came up with at Cal Arts, who then went on to Disney and, he and did away, a lot right? of the best. Yeah, he, he, is, the film is dedicated, this is to, him dedicated him to him yeah. because he passed away that year. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of beautiful, and it's kind of wonderful to know that because I think sometimes you're like, oh, this is Tim Burton really farting something out, but this is like this is a story he was told. Uh, as a young man that stuck with him and he obviously was like wanting to find a way to tell this story for a long time um yeah so i, I, don't I just know. don't think it has all the attention that he would put into it and that yeah because that's the yeah, only thing i right? think that the, he's spread thin if you think about somebody i mean the, the both of these and this this film especially i think can be compared quite a bit to what will be upcoming which is wes anderson's dip into stop motion he also uses puppets from mckinnon and saunders which is what mm-hmm. these guys use but the difference with wes anderson is he like he loves the fur and he's like and, and when they were like Velvet, the west the when we room. when we touch the fur you're gonna see it and he's like yeah i want that baby and it's like that's i think i I like that a little more it's an interesting comparison too because especially on fantastic mr fox which uh, no surprises i beloved is beloved by me Mm -hmm. um similar accusations were made against him that he barely showed up to set Mm, um that he was there for five days he kind of took time off for that one but no he was also just i think if you google it there's some associate producers or even the head of animation Mm. of fantastic mr fox who was sure bold enough to call him out i think in vanity fair um i think that has changed with isle of dogs i think he was very involved Mm. um but yeah it's an interesting kind of atelier workshop scenario with these stop-motion auteurs like Burton and Wes Anderson where it's almost like a, you know, Caravaggio (laughs) like Rembrandt where we're not sure who's the actual artist but we sign Rembrandt's uh, name because, you know, who knows? Oh, yeah. I will say that it is worth worth pointing out that I think probably the big problem with that Wes Anderson one is he's the sole credited director. So to pull that and be the sole credited director is a whole next level. So, yeah, I I don't know. Because, I mean, I it's also like, what are you going to do to, to dedicate yourself to stop motion? You have to be Nick Park and you have to be uh, doing it 24 seven. And, and if you're not that kind of filmmaker, you're not, but it's kind of disappointing when Tim Burton, whose background is animation, when you hear yeah. that about him, it's, it's, that sounds like he doesn't have his whole heart in the project. And uh, I, another person I will say does not have their whole heart in the project. Uh, I'll call you out. Danny Elfman. These songs yeah. are boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and for, and I think even compared to Charlie, Charlie, at least he's going wild and experimenting. He's probably really tired. <laughs> yeah, that's true but I too. think that's that's the problem because he's transporting everybody over from one to the other. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody had time. Like even um, Johnny Depp talks about he's like uh, he was just coming off of set playing Willy Wonka, which was a yeah. super challenging character for him to play. Um, he's like, hey, do you want to go next door and we'll record a bunch of stuff for Corpse Bride? And he's like, I haven't even looked at the script. I don't really have the character. He's like, it's fine. You'll come up with it as you go along. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of stuff of like no 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 he's an actor he wants to prepare let him kind of in you know create some a character ways this feels like um a workhorse experiment for burton where he sure. knows that he's yeah. going mm. to start to do more stop motion with frank and weenie and so like let's do a test let's you know let's have a point in my career where i have two films that year so i'm guaranteed to have at least one be a success and the other can just be an experimental ground if that makes sense mm. sure and I do think people still loved this I movie. Like, this like movie. Yeah, Ebert and, thought and it was it, beautiful. Uh, yeah, it did okay. It's not a massive flop. It, I think they wanted more out of it. And I would say, uh, 
Alicia, to to the credit of Frank and Weenie, I feel like Frank and Weenie feels much more like a Tim Burton film. Absolutely, you know, and, and has much more like his even his visual style. Not that I I don't hate this one for for straying a bit, but that one does a bit seem more like his drawings come to have life. Have you watched Frank and Weenie recently, or did you just I watch have. it I once? I don't like it. No, no, no I don't know. <laughs> Becky, I, I guess you? I just don't like something that's so referential. I haven't seen that one. That's actually there's, on my. I will put it on my list. I will watch it. I will wait. It turns into a bat, which I love. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, it's like it. a fun yep. Godzilla thing. I, if you like the references in Curse of the Were Rabbit, it's it's like a, a like a Very m- more fun version of that. Shelly, the, the other, I, did a, I love them. The other thing I do like about Corpse Bride, which I saw somebody bring up, and, and is a great point, and I think Alicia can talk to with her work with Tiff and Tim Burton stuff, is that it was a chance for him to make up for the fact that he had worked with McKinnon and Saunders on those tests for Mars attacks Mm. because Mars Mm. attacks was meant to be a stop motion animation thing. That's true. And if you've ever seen those tests, they are immaculate and you immediately get, not that I I love Mars attacks and I actually think the, the CGI in Mars attacks is wonderful and very tactile, but man, oh man, do I wish it was the stop motion little aliens because they were, they were a delight. Yeah, Mars Attacks is one of my favorite Tim Burton's. It's up there. It's probably in the top three. Um, yeah, oddly enough, of all the TIFF exhibitions, the only two I didn't work on are Tim Burton. <laughs> oh, no. Because it was before my time. That was 2010. That opened Lightbox. I didn't start working for them until 2012. Mm. And Fellini, which no one remembers, so it doesn't matter. No, um, but yeah, the Burton, Burton, I saw at MoMA. I was actually not living in oh. Toronto in 2010. So I'm familiar with the exhibition, which was, I think, four times the size of what TIFF did. Yes. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I remember seeing some of the those exact figures you're talking about that were made by that company for Mars Attacks on display, which I don't believe made it to Toronto, but could have. Mm. Oh, there was the figures, it's, yeah, okay, and good. the little animation good, test. Good, good. Uh, the last thing I want to kind of bring us into is I do appreciate they continue on with the grand tradition of puns in that Harryhausen is obviously an influence for everybody who has done stop motion, Pioneer Trailblazer. And so here you have both dancing skeletons and the name on the, the piano is Harryhausen. it's a Harryhausen piano. And I'm like... Thank you very much. All right. Well, that should bring us to the end of this episode. Alicia Fletcher, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you once again for bringing more animation because, man, I love this stuff. It's so great. Yeah, it's really fun to talk about animation with the three of you. Uh, Wait. (laughs) There's just two of us. Hold on I mean, I can bring out a little, uh, a little robot or something. No, there's a little worm that looks like Peter Laurie <laughs> on uh, Becky's yeah. shoulder. Um, yeah, sure. That's right. Yeah. That's I've named and I demand yes. retribution that Cam, I want, oh, I guess you said you did watch it. Uh, okay. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I'm in the middle of watching Henry Selleck's Monkey Bone because I was like, isn't Monkey Bone kind of like Carp's Pride? It is. It is very, that's a yeah. very good point. And also, yeah. I remember liking parts yeah, of Monkey me too. Bone. I, I, yeah. I, I don't think it's a good movie, but I, I think something like the performance of Chris Kattan as an animated corpse, delightful. Delightful. Would you recommend a rewatch? I mean, I'm only 15 minutes in. But a song. It's, it's a song so I recommend. Yeah, yeah. If you've got <laughs> Disney Plus, shockingly, one. Monkey Bone is on it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, perfect. Okay, and you know what? I really, I will watch just about anything Dave Foley is in sure. because Dave Foley, seriously underrated character actor. I can't <laughs> wait till we get to talk about him next season. Cameron Maitland, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, with us. thank you. And like I say, check out. Uh, Primus's The Devil Went Down to Georgia video for some fun animation uh, by Mike Johnson. All right. And you can join us next week with very special guest Adam Naiman as we go to the dark side. We're looking at two takes on the neo-noir genre. That's Brick and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang coming up next week. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the A Year in Film podcast from Hollywood Suite. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Hollywood Suite. Hollywood Suite is the home of the movies that shaped the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Always uncut and always commercial-free, Hollywood Suite lets you experience movies the way they were meant to be seen on four HD channels and Hollywood Suite On Demand. Subscribe today at hollywoodsuite.ca. The A Year in Film podcast is hosted by Becky Shrimpton and produced by Becky Shrimpton, Alicia Fletcher, and Cameron Maitland. And today featured Alicia Fletcher and Cameron Maitland as guests. Supervising producer is Emily Gagne. Executive producers are David Kynes and Julie Kamaria. Creative consultant was Ryan Maines. Audio engineering by Andy Reid. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.